0: Greetings, podcast listeners. I come to you from sunny Topanga Canyon, California, home of the Manson family, as well as Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, and a bunch of other hippie stalwarts of the 60s. Um, One of these days, I'll get around to telling my Manson story. I actually have a strange personal connection to the Mansons, believe it or not. But not today. Today I'm recording directly into the computer uh, because my Zoom is not around. My little Zoom recorder that I've been using for these podcasts is not at hand and I've got some time. So I wanted to throw up another of the archived, of the uh, not archived, but the um, accumulated podcasts that I've got. Backlog, backlog, that's the word I'm looking for. So I'm recording directly into the computer using my Samsung the the earplugs ear earphones whatever they're called earbuds that came with my uh, Galaxy, and it seems that the quality's all right. But if you hear something uh, strange, I apologize. I hope I'll I'll check before I put it up. But uh, it seems like it's okay. Anyway. Uh, What did I want to talk to you about? I wanted to say uh, thanks to everybody who's been uh, sending me emails and stuff. Uh, Speaking of the technology, I've been using this Zoom H4n for all these podcasts. And it's, it's great. But, uh, the problem with it is it only has two inputs. So as you may have heard in the Betty Dodson, uh, Carl and Ross interview, it, it, the sound quality is not great because I've only got two mics. So I try to place the mic so that, uh, we're all being picked up, but, uh, you know, it's not great. And, uh, so yesterday somebody tweeted, uh, Daniel Jackson tweeted something. Hey, have you seen this uh, new Zoom H6? And uh, I looked at it, and it's great. It's got four inputs, so it's basically the same machine. It's got some new uh, bells and whistles, but it's got four inputs. So I ordered it. Four hundred bucks. And I tweeted back to him, "Hey, thanks for the lead. It's great. I ordered it. it looks looks great." Five minutes later, I get a significant donation from Daniel Jackson. Uh, <laughs> so he not only turned me on to the right machine, but he helped me pay for it. So I really appreciate that, Daniel. Uh, also, this uh, in the last week or two, we've uh, received a donation from Steve Fisher. Thanks a lot, Steve. Uh, got a beautiful email from Mike Miller, who is uh, the cousin of Chris James, uh, recent guest on the podcast. If if you haven't heard that uh, conversation with Chris James, I highly recommend it. It's uh, episode 49. Chris is an amazing guy, very interesting guy. And he surprised me with how openly he talked about uh, some very private things uh, on that podcast. And, uh, Very, very gratifying and I was very, very touched. Um, Paul Doherty, thanks for your, for your contribution, uh, for your Orwell, Ohio cold. Oh, Paul also sent me this crazy photos of these tubular snow uh, formations that are forming around there. Very, very strange situation there. Um, Anyway, thanks for your donation, man. Uh, Great emails from Byron Joel, uh, Gregory Peacock, uh, and uh, some others that I'm forgetting. But anyway, thanks to all of you who make a donation. If you want to make a donation to support the podcast, you can do it at my site, chrisryanphd.com. You go to the podcast uh, tab, and you'll see a donate button. you also see uh, Bonobo if you click on his balls it'll take you to amazon and uh that's our affiliate link so anything you buy at amazon on that visit we'll get a percentage of uh, of the cut so that's a great way to support the podcast without uh, actually paying anything extra uh in addition you can always get uh, t-shirts uh, at uh, the same site, chrisryanphd.com. You'll see the store button. Click on that, and you'll see a bunch of different T-shirts and hoodies for the podcast. Uh, there are also Sex at Dawn T-shirts, all supplied by the great sure design t-shirts, check them out. Even if you don't want to get a, a shirt from us, or you've already got a shirt from us, uh, go to shoredesigntshirts.com. Take a look at all the great stuff they've got there. Some really cool designs, shirts, dresses, hoodies, uh, all kinds of stuff all made from this amazing, soft, stretchy cotton that, uh, they, they have some proprietary technology. I don't know how they make it, but it's great stuff. All right, let's get into the podcast. Uh I think we're not doing sponsors this week. As Joe Rogan says, fuck the sponsors. So <laughs> this week this this episode is brought to you by me. And uh hope you enjoy it. It's uh Jason Goldman. He's a biologist based here in LA. I met him at Mindshare about a year ago when I did a uh, a talk it's fun actually the mindshare talk speaking of which just went they just edited it and posted it it's uh it's on youtube uh if you i guess if you just go to youtube and google sexaton mindshare uh you'll see it it's uh i tweeted it out yesterday but uh if you if you listen to this sometime in the future just go to YouTube and search Mind Share and Six at Dawn, and it, you'll see my talk. It was a lot of fun. Um, it was, uh, I think it's about 16 minutes that they've got up, and you can see how much fun it is to give a talk when your audience is drinking cause it's like a, it's a thing where I think it's basically kind of like a dating scene where people get together at these events and there's someone talk, you know, talking about science or art or whatever it is, uh, that sort of gives you a reason to be there. Um, but you're also meeting interesting people who are, um, interested in, in the, the subject at hand, presumably. And, uh, so it was a pretty wild crowd, a lot of laughs, a lot of fun, uh, kind of the opposite of Ted, which I think I did the mind share thing like a week before I did Ted. So, uh, it was
1: quite
0: a, quite a change from a bunch of, uh, drinking young, laughing wild people in this bar in Los Angeles to, uh, Ted Uh, Anyway, I'll have more to say about TED in the future. Uh, They still haven't posted my talk. It's been 11 months now. They keep saying they're going to post it, but they don't. Um, We'll see. I'm waiting. I'm holding back. See what they do. Uh, So I'll have more to say about that one way or the other uh, in the near future. Anyway, uh, thanks for listening to the podcast. Hope you enjoy this conversation with uh, Jason Goldman. He's an interesting cat. Ciao.
1: Baby, what's the big deal Feel what you wanna feel Say what you wanna say You're gonna die one day For example, I could kiss you Just because I want to What's the difference if you turn
0: All right. Welcome to another edition of Tangentially Speaking. I'm here with Dr. Jason Goldman. Is that right, Jason that Goldman? Right. I, sometimes right. I screw up the name, which is a <laughs> shitty way to start a podcast. Dr. Jason Goldman, we're sitting in... Where are we sitting? Literati Cafe. Literati. On the west side of L.A. I thought maybe it was Literati... Oh, oh, I see. Literati. Well, it's spelled with an I, though. It's yeah, not T like Yeah, I it when tea. I texted you. Oh, that's because, why I'm confused. Because there's a okay. place...
2: There's a place on the USC campus called
0: Literati, spelled like T, T-E-A.
2: like a clever yeah, way. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> um, you ever notice how how like coffee shops tend to have all these clever names? You know, like uh, Common Ground, and yeah. you know, being there, done that. I mean, yeah, there's yeah. something about. Is it caffeine that makes people? unable to resist the pun in the name maybe or maybe people who drink coffee are just
2: smart clever people
0: Uh, you think that's a sign of smartness and cleverness (laughs) do you okay that tells us something about dr (laughs) Dr. jason goldman um no i've always thought if i were going to open a coffee shop it would be called grounds for divorce I'm not sure I would want to drink coffee at that, at that place. I mean, but it's like it's the only grounds pun I haven't seen that, you know, that I could think of grounds for divorce. And I also thought if I if I opened a, a bar, I'd want to call it beer now. Beer now. Do you get that? That's a Ram Das joke. I No, I don't get that. Do you, you know who Ram Dass no. is? Oh, Jason, you're going to learn so much today. <laughs> Ram Dass was uh, Richard Alpert. He changed his name when he became uh, uh, Hindu or whatever. I don't know whatever he is. He's you know, some sort of guru. But he uh, taught at Harvard with Timothy Leary. And the two of them were giving psilocybin to their students and got drummed out of Harvard (laughs) in the 60s and then became like the gurus of the intellectual hippie movement in the 60s. Timothy Leary went on to become Timothy Leary, and Richard Alpert uh, became Ram Dass and is still alive, actually. And um, I think he's in Hawaii or maybe in California, but uh, a friend of mine, Duncan Trussell, was recently in Hawaii with Ram Dass, and he's a he's a very interesting guy, very spiritual, you know, went from like a New York Jew teaching at Harvard to spiritual leader of the hippie movement in the alternative intellectual climate of the sixties. Anyway, why the hell oh, he wrote a book called (laughs) Be Here Now which is a really famous sort of like hippie movement book in the sixties.
2: See when I hear the name Richard Alpert I think of the character from Lost.
0: Oh, my God. Whose name God. was also, I think, Richard Alpert. Oh, they don't make PhDs like <laughs> they used to. Let me I, tell Lost you. Lost
2: got me through writing my dissertation. <laughs> really? I, when I started, like, actually just, like, all the analyses that had been done and the data had been collected and I was just writing. Yeah. I, like, that week it was probably in, I probably started writing in, like, February, maybe. And I started watching Lost on Netflix, episode one, season one. Oh, man. And, I watched the like series finale like the night before I defended Wow so that was what got me through my dissertation writing
0: that's pretty heavy I have a friend who was in lost uh, you you might remember him he minor character but he was uh, do you remember? Uh, what's, what's Who was, like, the good-looking guy who was always... The doctor? No. No, there was, there was like, a sexy woman, and then there was, like, a dude who's, oh, you know, uh, with the abs and all yeah, that. Yeah, Josh Holloway. Uh, his character's name was uh, Sawyer. Sawyer, right, yeah. exactly. Okay, so, so it was a flashback to Sawyer as a con man. Okay. And Sawyer would, like, sleep with a woman and then, like, convince so her like, to convince rip her off to, her husband yeah, yeah. and all that. So this friend of mine played the husband. Play the husband. <laughs> I remember them meeting in a cafe... And he was, like, handing over a suitcase of money, yeah. yeah. But then Sawyer sort of freaked out, he's like, I can't do this, you're good people. And that was a turning right. point in his character's point. development, and, yeah. yeah. That was my um, friend. That was my friend, who's the son of Dom DeLuise. Did no. you know Dom Deloitte's the car- the comedian? I know and- of him. Yeah, yeah. So you're a young whippersnapper, uh, you even will. though you're a doctor. Now, <laughs> I keep calling you doctor because you before we started recording, you mentioned that you had just uh, defended your thesis. Uh, when? How, like a month or two ago. Uh, I defended it in May. May May eighth in May. Okay, so you're a newly minted PhD. I am. And your your dissertation your your degrees in biology. It is in developmental psychology. It's in de- oh, I thought you were a biologist.
2: I I mean I studied animal behavior, animal cognition. Oh, ah,
0: okay, right.
2: Um, but in a uh, psychology department, my advisor sort of thought that. Uh, If if you're, certainly not for all questions in developmental psychology, but if you're interested in the starting state of the mind, then human infants are probably the worst things to study because they're kind of useless for six months. And after six months, and they're just these tiny little learning machines, right? Right. And so if you're interested in characterizing the starting state of the mind. The
0: starting state?
2: Like what, you know, what we're born with. Like as soon as, you know, on day one of life. Right. um, You can't study a human infant on day one of life.
0: Because they're born too early. Because
2: they're born too early and they're useless for at least six months months or eight months before they can participate in your experiments right you know even if you could even if we lived in a world in which it was ethical to raise a human infant in a controlled environment um you, you still have to wait months before you could, you know, test them. Uh, so, so you know, you need an animal model instead, you know, an animal that you can begin testing from day one of life.
0: Because they're smarter. In,
2: in a controlled environment.
0: Yeah. Isn't it, I read somewhere that, like, human babies don't reach this sort of uh, state of cognitive sophistication of chimpanzees till about three or four?
2: Um something like that yeah that sort of a mature chimpanzee is in some ways like a 4 year
0: old child right I mean, I'm sure they're you know they're different parameters I mean, yeah, I mean, it depends to look exactly, at. Exactly, you, know. you know
2: what what kind of you know skill or yeah. uh, cognitive uh, ability you're talking about.
0: Have you seen the what was the documentary about the people who took the chimp home and raised it with their kids? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, um, Nome, uh, Nim Chimpsky. Chimsky, Nim Chimsky, right? Yeah. Uh, but wh- what was the name of the film? Was it Nim or Chim? Uh, Project Nim. Project NIM, Nim, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'd read about them before. It was very interesting. I remember one of the, the things about that case was that they thought they'd raise the, ki- the chimp with their kid so that the chimp would start to like ac- acquire these human-like attributes. Right, right. Which, to some extent, he did. I mean, he like would he or she? I don't remember if it was a male if or a female. It was. Uh, I don't remember. N- I don't remember. Named after Gnome, so it's male. But anyway, he would like he like drinking beer, and would would like sit, you know, make himself breakfast with cereal and milk and all these. But what disturbed them was that their daughter
2: started act like a little bit acted
0: like a champ. She would swing around from the rafters and you know scream and. I mean, to me, I see kids and they all look like chimps to me. Yeah, me they're too. They're all screaming I mean, little banshees. Yeah, I
2: mean, I walk into a bar and I see, like, adults yeah, as if they're chimpanzees. Right.
0: So. Yeah, yeah. It must be even worse for you. You just see, I mean, I, I I, look into, you know, we're in this big cafe. There are people everywhere. To me, they're all just horny primates. Yeah. Pretending not to be most of them because the these are hipsters. The more
2: I learn about, about humans, the. And the more I learn about animals, the. Let me start over. The more I learn about animals, the easier it is to me for me to see the animal in the human
0: right right
2: I, I think I, I think I understand people a lot more now because I understand
0: something about animals. yeah One of the things I really love about my wife Casilda is how unapologetic she is about her animalness. You know, she's like when she's hungry. Yeah, get your fingers out of the way. <laughs> I mean, she, I've never seen anyone. I was with, we were having lunch in New York last week with my agent, and we were joking because Casilda ordered. We're in this fancy, like uh, I guess it was like a French Vietnamese restaurant, you know, in Midtown. You know, every, all businessmen everywhere, and, all, and Casilda ordered a whole fish. The, I don't know what kind of fish it was, but it was a big fish, and it came with the head. And the bones and everything and, and the guy was like do you want me to prepare that for you and she was oh no no, no. <laughs> and, but you know by the end nothing was left there, there was like a tiny little pile of bones no head no eyes you know she just chumps that thing wow. down so Ben was like, "You got have you seen Splash? I, I had never seen Splash. I have seen it, yeah. Well, apparently there's a scene in Splash where Daryl Hanna plays a mermaid, and he right. takes her, some guy takes her to a restaurant, and she gets a lobster, and she just, like, starts chewing the lobster head. <laughs> That's my wife, Yeah. Um, anyway, enough about Daryl Hannah <laughs> <laughs> do you know Daryl Hannah is the first person who ever asked me to sign a copy of Sex at Dawn I did not know that crazy yeah, yeah, and i don 't like hang out with movie with stars people. <laughs> you know but that just happened to happen so okay what what tell us about your your uh, dissertation. So, um, without boring the hell out of us, I will
2: do my best. All right. All right. Actually, I think it's uh, I think it's pretty interesting. They yeah, all say that. Uh, <laughs> so. So, like I said, uh, what we were interested in is sort of figuring out the starting state of the mind. You know, what's sort of innate, um, and then how. Oh, sorry to interrupt you.
0: Mind, brain. What's the difference? Uh, You're using that term advisedly, okay, I'm okay. sure.
2: Yeah. I mean, the truth is, I. I I don't you know in some sense you might say that like the the mind, the the brain is like the hardware on which the software of the mind runs. Right. I think that's probably a reasonable analogy, but at the end of the day I think, you know, that's that's something we use it's sort of a shorthand. I don't know that there is a thing that is the mind that is dissociable from the thing that is the brain or
0: nervous system. Well, see, a nervous system, but we, isn't there like thinking in the gut? Isn't there some neurological? Well, there's certainly. Action?
2: I mean, uh, you know, uh, parts of your you know other other parts of your anatomy sort of feed feed information you know, right. into the brain. Right. You know, we 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 know that certain emotions um, like fear or anxiety or things like that are um, you know informed by the uh, you know your internal body state. Um, and that's why there's all these physiological correlates of emotion, right? Right. So feedback systems. Yeah. Sorry, I interrupted you. You that's were just getting into it. Um, so we were interested in characterizing the starting state of the mind, right. uh, you know, what you have uh, the moment you're born. Um, and there are all these, uh, you know, there's all all this literature in, in in sort of the infant literature, you know, about what's innate. But this comes from studies of infants who are six months old, or eight months old, or year old. So can you really say that something is innate when you're studying a year old child? You know, right. Maybe, but. maybe maybe. maybe not right um so the question is what organism what animal model can we use that allows us to start testing you know essentially on the first day of life um and that can be uh raised in a controlled environment from birth um and uh the answer that that we found was the chicken um because chickens need no parental care and you can you know uh, sort of hash them on your own in an incubator in your lab and then as soon as they hatch you can put them into their cages um, and they have perfect uh, perfect uh, visual acuity as soon as they're born. Really? Unlike, you know, a human infant uh, can see about a foot in front of their eyes and, and any closer blurry. or any farther it's really blurry. Right. Um, but uh, infant chickens uh, have good visual acuity as soon as they're born. They're capable of self-guided locomotion as soon as they're born. They can feed themselves and, you know, drink on their. They don't need to learn how to do those kinds of things. Right. Um, so, uh, we raised chickens in these controlled environments um, we we, uh, we spent three years trying to figure out how to do this you know mm-hmm. so we, we actually spent three years designing these cages these controlled rearing cages um, and so we ended up designing ones that had uh, computer monitors on some of the walls so that we could control everything that, that these chickens ever saw as soon as, you know, as soon as they were born as soon as they hatched um, and by controlling the kinds of things that we showed them, uh, we could then probe you know uh, questions about how they thought about the world and how they represented uh, how they created mental representations of the things that we were the stimuli that we were showing them do chickens
0: See, how can I say this? Chickens' eyes are in the front of their heads or the sides of their heads. They're uh, they're on the sides. They're on the sides. So their three dimensional visual acuity would be different from. Would be a little bit different. Um,
2: part of the reason, in fact, like sometimes you look at birds, um, especially birds that have eyes more on the sides of their heads. Um, you know, not not like the raptors. You right. kind of see their heads doing this like back and forth sideways dance. funky um, And and funky that's, chicken. that's kind doing of the funky right. So that's yeah. kind of to create. You know, we get binocular vision because we have two eyes with overlapping visual fields Uh, in the front of our heads. Um, Birds who have the eyes on the sides of their heads do that to sort of create um, an overlap in their visual fields. Interesting. And sort of to to, to approach something like binocular. I I can't imagine what it would be like to do. You know, I don't don't know what that feels like, but that's sort of the idea that they do that to get a sense of depth.
0: I remember reading somewhere that predators have their eyes in the front of their heads and prey on have the their sides. eyes on the sides. I read that too. Where did I read that? Um, it seems to be true for birds because as you mentioned the raptors yeah, which are predators yeah. have the eyes in the front. Yeah and
2: it's true I think in lots of cases among mammals. Right. Um, you know that if you're a prey animal um, it, it's it's more adaptive to, have a, to have a much wider field of view even, right. if, even if you lose some dimensionality. Right. Um
0: yeah. Okay, so, so back to the ch- funky chickens so, so you design this thing with chickens You've, you've got a uh, computer screen So you're, you're What kind of stuff are you testing? Like color exposures or lines? No, so I mean those, those Like that level, like those kinds
2: of experiments Have been done been like 100 done. years ago right? Um,
0: so you're showing them porn?
2: No, not Chicken porn? <laughs> not quite Doing it chicken um, style So So chickens, <laughs> chickens <laughs> imprints Right, the imprint on the first moving oh, thing like that they see, like ducks and geese. Right, right. this is right. this is sort of the uh, if you remember that uh, movie from the '90s, Fly Away Home, with Jeff uh, uh, Jeff Daniels and Anna Paquin, really young Anna Paquin. Mm, right, they no. it was based on the true story of how this guy um, imprinted some Canadian geese to him and then taught them how to migrate using ultralight aircraft.
0: Oh, what? Oh, but is that a true story? Yeah. Okay, because there's a there's a, a documentary made by a French guy who did that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. A Canadian. Yeah. Oh, he's Canadian. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Or it was at least in Canada. But it was in. I mean, it was filmed in Europe, wasn't uh, okay. it? Oh, okay. I think it. Was I mean,
2: it's possible that they use this method for other. Yeah. I, right, it was now, like an actually, IMAX thing. Yeah. It was a big. Right now they're actually using this method, this like imprinting onto a human, and then training birds to fly with ultralight aircraft with uh, whooping cranes. Oh. That study right. actually just came out last week.
0: And they're. F- um, they're filming them from the, the ultralight yeah, aircraft yeah, yeah. and yeah. you're like out there right. in the flight I think it's called migration yeah the uh, th- there's
2: a there's a non-profit that is it's called project migration I think mm. or operation migration right that uh, like with the whooping cranes they uh, imprint these baby chicks to like people who are dressed in like crane suits Right, and uh, once the you know cranes learn to follow the mom around, then they train them to migrate by using ultralight aircraft. Right. So this imprinting process is uh, you know what we sort of capitalized on. You know, right. if you if, if a bird hatches and it imprints onto usually its mom or you know brothers and sisters, um, it will follow mom around. And if it's deprived of access to mom, it'll kind of get a little bit stressed out. But then if you reintroduce mom and allow the you know baby bird to uh, you know approach mom, it'll run right up to her. Um, so so it sort of seeks out, it seeks out mom as a source of emotional, uh, social comfort.
0: Is there a like a, a window where this imprinting would happen?
2: Yeah, there's sort of a sensitive period. It's in the first uh, few hours. Uh, it's within the first day of life, basically.
0: And what happens if if the chick is in isolation for the first day and there it passes through that window? Right. So then it wouldn't uh, imprint, or at least it wouldn't imprint as strongly. Oh, um, but it could still imprint later.
2: And then, so there's, uh, I mean, there's the sort of the main. Imprint imprinting and then sometimes in some birds there's like a secondary there can be a secondary imprinting
0: right um and is that imprinting it's it's an interesting evolutionary adaptation that imprinting because it seems like like most of the time it would work but when it doesn't work it would be really disastrous
2: right i mean and sort of the human uh analog it's not exactly the same process but we have attachment right right which is not exactly the same thing but in in some ways it has a similar set of uh uh outcomes um, you know, we bond emotionally with our caregivers. Um, yeah. And if we don't, we know, you know, when, when infants bond, um, uh, uh, what's the word? When when there's, um, whatever the word is, when infants don't bond that well with their caregivers, then we know that later on in life they tend to have some kinds of problems uh, in school or right. behavior problems.
0: Yeah. Have you read uh, Sarah Herdy's research? I haven't. I haven't read it. She, she's great. She's um she writes a lot about uh, allo-parenting, yeah. And her point is that well, she makes lots of points, and I certainly don't want to misrepresent her. But she uh, talks about how we, you know, attachment theory and sort of Freudian uh, assumptions about nuclear families and all that. You know, the Oedipal complex and. Um, Assume this nuclear family structure, but when you actually look at hunter-gatherer groups, you find much more complex, variable um, relationships between children and adults. Yeah. You know, that aren't about mom, dad, son, daughter. Yeah, I'm not sure that
2: the attachment relationship in humans necessarily needs to be, you know, with your biological mother or anything and that's right. why i use the word caregiver right um, right you know, you can certainly create uh, and and kids do create multiple attachment relationships with with mom and dad but also right. with grandparents with teachers and all that yeah kind of, you know yeah. Uh, with uh, nannies or
0: and that can well the nanny's complicated because the nanny tends to leave right yeah, right. But you can still create that sort of because that's sort yeah. of attachment relationship yeah or teachers in school yeah, you yeah, know yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, okay, so so you've got these. Oh, I wanted to ask you one other thing. Is the is that sort of um, uh, what's the term for it? Imprinting. Imprinting. Is that something just with birds, or does, do you know does that exist in other in mammals or in um, other species? It's
2: it's certainly most well known in birds. I mean, there there's we talk about sexual imprinting in a wider variety of um. And what is that? Animals? Sexual imprinting. Uh, it's sort of where you learn, you know, uh, where where it's sort of a, a young animal learns. What Um, turns them on? Yeah,
0: yeah, basically. Uh, basically. Yeah, we talked about there's some research in, uh, I think it was in Scotland or Wales, where they took all the baby goats one year and placed them with a herd of sheep, and all the baby sheep and placed them with the goats. Do you know about that research? Uh, Maybe not specifically, but I know it's sort of the general Yeah, so then they let them uh, mature. And so then they're all, they're all having sex with the, the species they're living the opposite, with. Yeah, the opposite species. And then they switch them back to their original species. And so then the females just adapt seamlessly. Like, okay, now I'm with yeah. sheep, I'll fuck sheep. And, you know, and the goats are like, hey, okay. But the, the males refuse. Right, they're attracted to the species that they grew up with. Exactly, because right? yeah. they've imprinted. Yeah, so th- we extrapolated from that to, to you know, the fact that almost all fetishists are men. Interesting, yeah. You know, because it's like you imprint, yeah. there's this window, you imprint, you know, you're attracted to, you know, big-breasted women wearing red shoes because you, right. when you were right. nine, your mother's friend came over to visit and you, you had a heart on or something. And that's it for life, you know. Men right. can't and, ever and, get uh, out of that. And
2: it's important, you know, when, when like, conservationists are working with, like, uh, endangered species or uh, things like that, they have to be really careful when they're working with, you know, juveniles. Uh, you know, oftentimes they wear, like, you know, costumes or don't show the animals their faces for that reason, so that, you know, the animal doesn't grow up thinking it's, you know, attracted humans. Really? Or
0: or whatever. And do do the animals... It's interesting, you said faces. So does the chicken recognize you by your face? Uh... Or smell? Well, that's an interesting question. Um... There's there's
2: actually uh, there's an ongoing study in my lab my old lab right now looking at face perception so I, I don't really? know that I can quite tell you the answer yet right but they can certainly recognize and remember like you know complex stimuli like that
0: yeah I mean it's friends de all. you know the, the Dutch primatologist sure. talks about going back to Holland I don't know if it was 20 25 years after he had done his graduate work in Arnhem and um, some of the, he recognized some of the bonobos that he had yeah, worked with yeah. who were babies then and they recognized him. Yeah. Now, you would you would think with primates it probably is facial, and I know there's been research showing uh, photographs of uh, chimpanzees. To other chimpanzees, but like chimpanzees yeah, and they who would recognize died group, long... group
2: members versus out like yeah strangers
0: uh, yeah exactly even yeah. if they'd never known that particular chimp personally, there was something about like that they sounds familiar they'd shown you know how in Africa there's like Thai, the Tai T A I one, one colony like, uh, and then yeah. Gombe and yeah so something like that that they'd responded. To chimps from their own region, their own or, yeah. yeah. Even though you know that chimp died before this one yeah, was born, yeah. I, I remember. I don't remember what the explanation was, but I think. Well, what I, if I remember correctly, the the you know the hypothesis was that there are you know like if I met your brother. I might be like, oh, oh yeah, sure, guy that guy kind of looks like someone I know. Whereas sense. I meet some, you know, Chinese guy that doesn't look anything like anyone I know. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. By the way, do do Chinese people look similar to each other? Do you think this is an ongoing as a biologist or as a? a, a you mean, well, I, uh, <laughs> I mean? Okay. My I, I've got an ongoing debate with a good I don't friend. Think, okay. <laughs> I'm, I might be, maybe I'm exposing myself as a racist here, but I have this ongoing debate with this friend of mine. I I hold the position that Chinese people, or, you know, Asians in general, uh, look more similar to each other than Europeans. Okay. And my friend says that's just because you're European. To them, they look just as different from each other as, you know, a Swede looks from a Greek. And I'm, and I'm like, but wait a minute, you know, a Swede is tall, thin, pale, blonde hair, different facial construction, you know, it's like the number of different variables between a Swede and a, your typical Swede and your typical Greek or Italian or Spaniard or whatever, are objectively, there's more objective... You think there's more like
2: inter-individual differences... Objectively,
0: yeah. You know, I mean, it's like, okay, you know, northern Chinese, southern Chinese, they they have black straight hair. Okay. Right. The skin tone's probably more or less the same. Okay. Uh, You know, facial hair and that kind of stuff, more or less the same. So, I I mean, I'm not saying one's better than the other, (laughs) which I hope absolves me from any uh, racial, racist uh, accusations. But I, I just think there are objectively more variables that are different in European... Populations than in most Asian populations. I
2: I don't <laughs> I know what to your, tell I, you. I, I'm inclined I, to agree with your friend. I think you're inclined to not I, say anything. I, here's why. <laughs> here's why. Uh-huh. So at least so so you mentioned a lot of different variables, right. and I can't speak about everything. But faces, in particular, um, there we do have some data. So we're born with sort of a general, you know, uh, f- a face face recognition system. Right We recognize faces, and we can distinguish them from non faces um, you know and, and that 's probably innate. Um, you know we have, we have a part of our brain that is tuned for faces um, that said, uh, if you take uh, human infants you know in the first few months of life, uh, first year of life, and you show them human faces and monkey faces. Uh, they can tell them apart. So if, if, I, if I showed you uh, an array of rhesus monkey faces right. uh, one after the other so you couldn't compare them side by side uh, you'd probably not really be able to tell them apart. Uh, you you, couldn't, you, know, you wouldn't know that that's monkey A and that's monkey B. Um, but if I did that for human faces it would be a trivial task for you. Right. right. But human infants are equally good Unless at distinguishing Unless
0: they were Chinese. <laughs> 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 I'm going to get myself in trouble <laughs> with my three Chinese listeners. Human, so human infants uh-huh. are as good
2: at distinguishing among monkey faces as they are among human faces really? and as they age the the ability to distinguish human faces obviously uh, um, uh, stays the same or improves right but the ability to distinguish among monkey faces uh, sort Atrophies. of uh, uh, right yeah. right because we're sort of born of this general face processing system and as we age we gain expertise with our species because that's who we spend our time with right and we sort of lose expertise um, or right. never gain expertise uh, distinguishing among other species although
0: so, although we can can gain that expertise later right, with someone like Franz we Duvall who goes to a zoo and he's like, sure. I know like, you like and you like and Like any you. other skill.
2: Yeah, um, yeah. And vice versa. Uh, I, I believe this is ultimately done with infant monkeys. And infant monkeys, I think, the reverse. reverse. Uh, you know, they begin being able to distinguish among human faces just as well as their own species. Uh, right. And then as they uh, age, they retain the ability to distinguish their own species and lose it for other species. Right. Um, so my, my my inclination, the reason why I'm inclined to agree with your friend is, you know, uh, someone like uh, me or you, I assume, was probably raised mainly with other people of European background. And so um, you sort of retain the expertise to distinguish among those people. But if you're not raised with people of Asian backgrounds, right. um, at least not, you know, uh, uh, a lot of them and, you know, with sort of regular uh, experience, you may sort of never gain the expertise... Um, just the, the same way that you never gain the expertise to distinguish uh, Reese's monkey bases.
0: So then to uh, a Chinese guy who was raised in, among all Chinese people, he comes to a place like this cafe with a bunch of, well, I mean, this is a bad example because we're in L.A. But he goes to, uh, you know, whatever, to, to France and everybody looks the same to him. Because he's, not I, I think that would be the hypothesis
2: that right. sort of you would drive from this. I but mean, see the you, problem have with to, that you'd hypothesis. To, you'd also have to control for like media exposure. You know what you're saying yeah, on TV. Yeah, right. You know, That's g- true. humans are complicated.
0: But see the problem. I, I mean, I politically I tend to agree with that. You know, but on the other hand, I can't help thinking that the the Asian guy in the cafe full of Europeans is saying, well. Yeah, I mean, like, look, that, that dude's tall and blonde. I mean, he's a different color. Right. You know what I mean? It's like very different characteristics. Anyway, we don't need to get off on that. <laughs> if you had agreed with me, I would really pursue it and then send it to my friend just to <laughs> rub it in. But he doesn't care. He's we, we have several, and we've been arguing about a few things for like 30 years. <laughs> okay. And, and I, I don't think it's ever going to end. Yeah. Um, all right, so we're talking about chickens. So what did what did you right, so find with we your, your chickens? We, uh, so so the questions
2: I was interested the questions that I that I looked at for my dissertation were uh, I'm interested in sort of social cognition, um, and in particular, what is social cognition uh, how we think about you know others, uh, oh, okay. you know, social
0: others. It's not groupthink or or that no mass not necessarily. Hysteria.
2: Uh, not necessarily. Right. Um, so in particular, what uh, what I was interested in is action comprehension. Um, so something that's you know trivial for us, for example is to distinguish between a goal-directed action and an accidental action. Even if the actual sort of physical events, you know, the, the motion trajectory of my hand to the cup or whatever, may be the same in an right. intentional action versus an accidental action, right. um, there are other things that you as an observer would notice that would lead you to understand that I did something on purpose or by accident.
0: Very important for forensic psychology, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. You know, like and intentionality. Even, uh, I think
2: it even feeds to things like moral judgment, right? So, we, if we see someone do something that has a negative outcome on purpose, we would judge one way. And if the same negative outcome is a result of an accidental action, then we would have a different kind of a judgment, right? If I step on your foot on purpose, you'll be really mad at me. If I step on your foot by accident, you know it might still hurt a little bit, but you won't be mad at me. Uh, don't count. Theoretically, yeah,
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> um, or at least you'd <laughs> be less. Don't push <laughs> me, man. Don't push me. <laughs> you'd be less <laughs> upset, um, right? Because accidents happen. Yeah. Um, so, but. Is this ability, let's say, to distinguish between goal-directed actions and accidental actions, um, is that something that is innate? You know, are we born with it, um, or do we have to learn this? Um, so you're looking at whether chickens can make that distinction. So, so we sort of have to, you know, take a few steps back to, to ask some more basic questions first. Right. You know, can chickens? Uh, um, recognize individual agents you know social agents on the basis of their actions can they distinguish among different actions in the first place um, and what features of those actions are they sensitive to right can they if I show a, a you know actions never sort of in, in real life actions don't usually occur in isolation the actions usually occur in sequence right so uh, will our chickens able to distinguish among sequences of actions that are made of the same elements but in different order you know if I take a series of three actions and replace one of them. So two are the same and now one is different. Will a chicken sort of treat that differently than sort of the original set of three actions?
0: Does that make sense? So so the actions are being done by you, not by other chickens? They're
2: being done by uh, video stimuli on the monitors ah, of their cages. okay. So it might be, so on some of my experiments I use sort of an animated sort of guy. Um Who would, you know, uh, turn his head or raise his arm or kick his leg or something. And on some of my experience, I actually just used a a two-dimensional red circle. Um, And we would imprint the chickens to these red circles or these little, you know, animated figures. Um, And they would uh, sort of treat them like mom and follow the little red circle around. Um, And Mm. when the red circle was there, they'd be giving sort of their
0: happy chirps. Um, Did that depress you? Did you feel sad seeing little chickens? Because they're cute. Little chickens they're are cute.
2: Cu- you know what? They're cute. They're cute for about, like, ten days. <laughs> you overcame. And after about a week and a half, they start, like, getting their, like, secondary sexual characteristics and, like, adult feathers. And, oh. like, the little fuzzy, like, yellow chicken right. is now sort of uh, has these, like, big, ugly feathers. And uh, and they're, they're not cute anymore after really? about a week and a half. That's and anyway, we don't we never interact with them. We put them into their cages, you uh. know, after they hatch. Um and since we control everything that they see, we you know we never interact with them. When we oh, you know, right. once a day, we you know we'd have to open up their cages to refill their food and water, but we would do it in darkness wearing night vision goggles, so they would never ever. Uh, and they don't see infrared. They don't they don't see infrared. They see ultraviolet.
0: Ah, uh, yeah, that's, that's interesting. It. That's it. So in, in, ultraviolet would be. Why would they see that? I guess flowers have yeah, sort of survival. Uh, mean, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that might I'm be sure a bird-wide yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And did you eat the chickens after no, the experiments? No, we did not eat the chickens. What did we, you do? We were the world's tiniest little chicken nuggets. <laughs> oh, because oh, <laughs> you didn't even let them grow up to be chickens. The, the,
2: the chickens, uh, the cages that we designed, uh, we could sort of keep them because chickens grow pretty fast. Yeah. Um, for about uh, until about three weeks.
0: Oh. And then they. Uh, Went back to the, yeah. uh, the big they, they, went, to yeah, they stave, went to a farm upstate <laughs> <laughs> where there's more room to run. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Good. Good. All right. And do you eat chicken in general? Yeah. 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 Okay. yeah. I, I think, um,
2: you know, I think anyone who does animal research, um... I I, I think working with chickens makes me appreciate more the chickens that I eat. Like, it didn't cause me to go vegetarian or to stop eating chickens or eggs or anything like that. Mm. Um, But I think I'm a lot more aware now
0: of the animals that... That it's an actual animal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the reality. Um, Yeah. Interesting yeah. how far from that reality we are and yeah. and how our society is built upon maintaining the illusion of the of that reality and many others. Right, right.
2: And when you when you go to the market and you see all the chickens like in the in the butcher case, right? Like They all look the same. Like there is, there is no individuality. It's not like that chicken, you know, was maybe a little bit more aggressive than that chicken, or that chicken, you know, didn't imprint as well to mom as that chicken. Even though in real life they probably did. There
0: is individual Um, variation. Yeah. 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 One of the things that shocked me when I moved to Spain uh, was going to the market. You know, they have these big neighborhood outdoor markets, and uh, I remember going into La Bocadri which is the most famous one there on the Ramblas, and walking down, and you get to the meat section, and there are rabbits hanging upside down with blood in their eyes, you know. And they sell rabbit in the stores, even in grocery stores, uh, in, you know, in the plastic wrap and all that, like you get anywhere else, but the whole rabbit, skinned. Oh, interesting. And a skinned rabbit's a pretty ugly-looking thing. But with the head and the little teeth and everything... And the reason they do that, all the rabbits always have the head on, is that during the the long depression years in Spain, which lasted about thirty years, uh, as opposed to you know the ten it lasted in the rest of the world, um, people would sell cats as rabbit, and so in order to ensure that it actually was a rabbit, you have to have the head on it but you see you see in Spain much you know they're much less uh into that illusion that it's not really an animal. Yeah. You know, it's you can see the goat, you can see whatever it is, it's like there yeah, there's a dead animal right there. That's yeah, what you're yeah, buying. Yeah.
2: So I think I I sort of have a greater appreciation. It was definitely strange the first <laughs> the first time that I like I was, you know, in my lab and I, you know, filled the incubator with fertilized eggs. And then I came home and I, like, saw, like, the eggs in my refrigerator. Right. I was like, oh, that's interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. But, uh... But, yeah. but it's real. And, and I, one of the things I'm, I'm uh, working on in this book I'm working on now is called Civilized to Death. And one of the things I'm really interested in is are, are the repercussions of living in a society that has a vested interest in you not knowing what's real. Whether we're talking about food, we're talking about war, we're talking about, uh, you know, our entertainment systems and our – so much of our society is built around – creating this artificial world in which a hamburger is not a dead cow right? and an egg didn't come out of a chicken's ass or colicum or whatever the hell it's called, wherever it comes from. Where does an egg come uh, uh, from? The cloaca? Cloaca, yeah. yeah, which is essentially its ass. I it's, guess their it's, ass. It's, and it's
2: all, it's, it's everything. It's
0: the ass it's and the pussy inclusive. together. There's no taint. Chickens don't have taints. <laughs> no,
2: they do not. <laughs> There's,
0: we're breaking news. For those of you in doubt, chicken ain't got no taint. Yes,
2: and I, let me tell you something. I spent at, at one point we thought we might try to sex our chicks to figure out if they were male or female, which sex is really and chicks. I like the
0: way that sounds. It's really hard to do. What are you doing today? I'm sexing um, chicks. <laughs> what are you doing?
2: And we realized we were basically like there are people who like spend years developing this expertise. Yeah. Right. Because like the differences between the males and the females are so nuanced. Yeah. Because um, they don't have like little chicken no chicken dicks. Right. I mean, eventually they develop their secondary sexual characteristics. You so know? chickens
0: and have penises?
2: No. They just have cloaca cloaca. The the male as well? Yeah, yeah. And and they reproduce by doing what's called a cloacal kiss. <laughs>
0: Well, that isn't that sweet? <laughs> Which is like,
2: what? How does that work? I, I'm not exactly sure what the sort of dynamics are, but the the, the boy chicken and the rooster or whatever, <laughs> and the girl chicken uh-huh. they sort of uh, I don't know. I know exactly what happens, but they touch their kolikas to each other, and something passes from one to the other, and
0: presumably sperm.
2: Presumably, or like or like a sperm packet or something. Uh, so you're telling me cocks don't have cocks? <laughs> that's, it, that's precisely what I'm telling you. Okay, so. Chickens,
0: right, chickens, female. Aren't. So, chickens don't have taints and cocks don't have cocks. I, I mean, right. I am really getting disillusioned about chickens today and why, we, you know. Why? Why do we say cock then? I, I don't. I don't have an answer. To I that think question. it has something to do with crowing in the morning. Maybe because they're loud and obnoxious <laughs> in the morning, especially <laughs> morning wood. Okay. Anyway, uh, what the hell were we talking about? <laughs> no, you were no. talking about cloacal kisses and oh, sexing chickens and how hard it is to sex yeah, the so chicks. I, I think
2: we basically sort of gave up because we, we were probably just sort of at chance, just guessing. Oh right. Um, but yeah, the way you sex a chicken, uh, you know, when it's a an, an infant chick, you know. Before it has its secondary sexual characteristics, is there's the cloaca just looks a tiny little bit different. Right. So yeah, I've I've seen my fair share of.
0: Cloake uh, Cloak You've done your time in the trenches of <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cloake Trenches Yeah, yeah. Alright so uh, So now you After how many years Studying uh, Chicken cognition uh, The last uh, Three or so Alright Okay And now the plan is You've got your PhD You've defended your thesis You're a recognized expert In That's the idea In animal cognition Is Yeah that I it? mean my, my uh, Like I said my degree was Developmental psychology Developmental
2: psychology But, but you know, animal behavior, animal cognition—that's sort of my. So, uh,
0: what did you discover? What can you summarize the the finding? I don't know
2: if I can quite say it yet yeah, because we, you know, we're pushing those papers out and ah, okay. uh, they haven't quite been published yet. But okay. The the, the, the first uh, my advisor just published a paper in PNAS just like two three weeks ago. That was the first uh, paper to come out of our sort of, of this this project.
0: The Proceedings of the National Academy, Academy of, of Science, Science is, which is yeah. big, that's a high big impact
2: yeah. factor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a big, big far lab. Good. So, and and that was on the object uh, recognition. So in our lab, okay. there's everything from you know the kind of social questions that I was looking at my, dis- my dissertation. And this to is UCLA, USC, USC. Yeah. Two questions about object Trojans. recognition and uh, and just you know numerical cognition, navigation, right.
0: numerical cognition. Interesting. Yeah. Chickens
2: can count. Chickens can absolutely count. I mean, uh, so can desert ants. Most species can count. Um, at least, uh, and, and most species that have ever been tested can represent exact numerosities up to three or four. Really, and then ha- can sort of approximately represent larger numerosities. Um, it's one of the like best worked out areas of cognition is numerical cognition.
0: Which is why have you heard of the pinaha? Uh, the Praha, Is it, yeah, the tribe in the Amazon, yeah, upper yeah, Amazon, yeah, 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 Daniel Everett, yeah, yeah, that's a big. Uh, I mean, there's all sorts of interesting yeah, stuff done a lot about of them, cognition, stuff, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they can and they can also represent
2: exact, like they can represent exactly three and exactly four, and then not exactly
0: many. Five. Yeah, it becomes many after that. So they that, can represent
2: yeah. approximately fifteen, and they can represent and they can distinguish between approximately fifteen and approximately thirty because that's like a one to two ratio,
0: right? Um, yeah, but very, exactly very exactly. interesting in terms of cognition yeah. and, and that kind of stuff. A friend of mine, uh, John Colopinto, wrote um, an article about Daniel Everett and and those people for the New Yorker. Yeah, and I he, think I read it. He that went that up also. and lived with them for a while. Really interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah fantastic talking about Noam Chomsky they're sort of uh, great rivals because that questions the whole idea of of inborn grammatical structures Um, okay so chickens can count uh, yeah.
2: So, and there was there's one lab in Italy. There's like one other lab like in the world that studies chickens, like chicken cognition. Um, and they 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 published a paper a few years ago that uh, chickens might have some sort of very basic arithmetic skills, like basic addition and subtraction. And again, we're talking about very low quantities here. You know, yeah, you know, one, two, three, four.
0: No, All right. I was talking to a guy one time. Uh, he, he was a he owned a sheep farm, and. I said something about sheep being really dumb. And he said, they're not dumb. He said, the, the ones who are smart, we kill immediately. <laughs> we don't let them breed. Interesting. We don't let them live because the smart sheep is the one who figures a way under the fence. Ah. And then everybody else follows him out. Yeah, yeah. So once you see that that one of your sheep ha- shows any sign of intelligence, you slaughter him. Interesting. Uh, and, and so... I wonder, you know, to what uh, our domesticated animals are being bred for stupidity as well as size and quick growth and, you know, fertility yeah, or whatever. Yeah. I mean,
2: that's such a complicated, you know, what is it? What does it mean for an animal to be stupid? You know, if if we mean stupid compared to a human. Well, I mean compared to where how the species would evolve
0: out of captivity.
2: Right. Yeah, but even that I think is, you know, cuz it's already, you know, we've we have domesticated these animals. And so then if we took these domesticated animals and then just kind of let them breed normally, you know, without any control, that's you know they're no like, like a, a domesticated dog is not a wolf right and even if we took a bunch of domesticated dogs and stopped any kind of controlled breeding they still they wouldn't like revert back to their wolfness right they would they, they'd, they'd, per, they'd perhaps be different from what they are now but they'd yeah. still be dogs yeah yeah that's true or, or, or they'd evolve into, something, they evolve into something else, you know, millions of years down the road.
0: I read a book recently called The World Without Us. You ever heard of that book? No. It's an interesting book. The, the idea is what would happen to various parts of, of the planet and society and so on if uh, all human beings disappeared tomorrow? So, like, one of it was like Manhattan. What would happen in Manhattan? Right. How long would it take until Before it returned it became, like, wild again? Yeah, and so you know, he spoke to engineers, like the guys who who man the pumps under the streets that right, are right. constantly pumping water out. And they're like, well, you know, like, okay, this would happen if if there's no one here to t- hit that button. You know, the next uh, hurricane that came through right. would flood everything, and then you'd have the rusting of the pylons holding the biggest buildings, you know, and then they'd topple over. That would be about twenty years and so he just goes through this whole thing yeah and one of the points he made was like uh cats would pretty much be fine because they return to a feral state readily quickly and they whereas dogs would all be eaten by something (laughs) like there would be no dogs in in five years all the dogs would be gone i mean uh uh yeah And rats, interestingly, that we think of as the great survivor, he said, rats wouldn't survive without humans. Really? Yeah, they need humans. Parasitic, or right? They would be. You know, predators would just take care of them very quickly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, interesting book. So, okay, so now you're, we were talking before I turned on the mics and stuff, um, you know, you were sort of, you're at a crossroads, as everyone is, who finishes yeah. their Ph.D. after toiling in the fields of academia for years. Uh, and you were thinking, on the one hand, you could keep doing research and, and you know, push the boundaries of knowledge. And on the other hand, you, you're, you're a very good writer and you're a very good uh, speaker, I know. I saw you give a talk. Uh, that's where we met, at right? Right. mind yeah. Mindshare, yeah Yeah, and you kind of bummed me out a little bit I think you w- went on before me Is that right? I
2: think I went on after You were first Was I? And then I went and then and then there's the third talk that sort of neuroscience something
0: oh okay, I, no, I don't remember, but I remember you were very good. Uh, and I thought, oh that uh, okay see i was I was bummed out because I was like, I have
2: to go on after like Chris Ryan, like, oh the great everyone the famous. everyone knows him, and like he has
0: a book, <laughs> and like you were preparing to give a TED talk, yeah and I was like, well, who am I?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, as it turns out, remember I remember i I tested a line, I yeah, tested yeah. a joke, I then because everyone loved it. And then I did it at TED and nobody loved it Interesting Yeah, that crowd led me astray (laughs) I know, I know Different demographics Yeah, nobody is like Everyone had like two or three cocktails by the time we started talking They should do that at TED, it would be better um, okay, so uh, so so you've decided to—is that how, so? I so I. I, mean, I are there, you ready to announce many... it to the world here?
2: Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I'm ready to announce or not. Anyway, there are, there are many parts of research I really really like. that yeah. I really enjoy still. Um, you know, I, I I'm not one of those people who like hated grad school. I like, yeah. really enjoyed actually grad school. You know, uh, overall, I think if you don't hate it at some point, you're probably doing it wrong. But. Um, but I also I really like you know writing and science communication. I think it's really yeah. important. Um, I think at the end of the day, I would give up research to to write. Yeah.
0: But I wouldn't give up writing to keep doing research. Yeah. So. Well, that that's the important distinction. I remember reading, uh, or actually, I was watching an interview with uh, a poet whose name I don't remember right now. W S. Merwin, perhaps, who lives in Hawaii. And he's been living in some little house actually it's probably not so little not since so little. he's very yeah. famous now. But in a house in the jungle in Hawaii, right? And the interviewer said to him, Don't you miss the city and the you know the, the life, the culture and all that? He said, Oh yeah, when he said when when I'm in Hawaii I definitely miss the city and when I'm on tour I miss right. Hawaii, but the thing is I miss Hawaii more. So, so that's, yeah. you know, you choose where to stay by what you'd miss more. So yeah. you'd miss the writing more so. if I mean, you were...
2: I, I like writing just as a, as a you know, as a, as a practice. I, I sort of self-identified as a writer since, like, high school. Really? Um, yeah. I didn't start, you know, writing about science until much later, obviously. But, um, yeah, I like telling stories. I like figuring out, you know... Ooh. In a particular, you know, how to how to take sort of a new new finding or a new paper and spin it into a story, or right. sort of create at least some sort of sense of beginning, middle, and end. Yeah. Um, and I like uh, I like sort of the you know diversity of things I can write about. You know, as yeah. a researcher, you're sort of in your little sub 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 subfield. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as a writer, you can, you know, today you can write about, uh, uh, you know, efforts to, to uh, save the endangered whooping crane. And tomorrow you can write
0: about, you know, the cognitive capacities of a desert dance. Um Yeah, you can really follow your interest. I mean, if you get a, if you develop your own platform, yeah. people know who you are, you can just do whatever you want. I've yeah. got a friend who, he's not a scientist, but he's a, a writer who... He's published probably 10 books now, and... I mean, you wouldn't believe. Like, the first one's about chili peppers. I I interviewed him for this podcast. Richard Schweid is his name, if anyone wants to go to the archives and check him out. Uh, But check him out on Amazon, too. He's got all these great books. Chili peppers. Then he's got one called, uh, and this isn't in any particular order, but there's one about, um, like, old cars in Cuba. It's called Chez Chevrolet and, and Fidel's Oldsmobile or something like that. Then he did one about eels. Consider the eel. He did one called The Cockroach Papers. Wow. Uh, he wrote one called The Hereafter, which is about how different people around the world think about what happens when you die. Um, so he's got like, he just follows his interest. Yeah. And he just like, I'm going to write a book about this now, you know, and whatever. He's in Mexico at the moment researching octopuses, octopi. Um, and he's with uh, somewhere near Merida, there's an octopus uh, research station okay. there. Really interesting yeah. animals, yeah, octo- yeah. octopus. My God. Talk about intelligence, yeah, you know. and a very sort of alien intelligence. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Which, which. I think we're, you know, I was going to say we're at a unique moment in in research now because we're starting to recognize the validity of alien intelligences and, yeah. you know, but I wonder if that is unique or if that's just the progression of the scientific method that like we're constantly, or it's like a sign of some sort of increasing maturity to say it's different but it's there, like, yeah. you know what I mean, like how men in in uh, primate research until the 70s really uh, nobody believed that other primate female primates had orgasms right and right, then right. you get f- women researchers in and they're like no that macaque is obviously having an <laughs> orgasm come on dudes right, you right, know right, right. like you we start recognizing more as more different kinds right. of people the get sort into of the same the, but different yeah 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 I am um,
2: I mean, I I don't know that we're necessarily at this, like, you know, turning point that there's any kind of a revolution. Um, but I, I think, you know, I, I think we're probably, as a society, in some ways we're maturing to a point where... You know, we can look, I sort of think about looking at other species as sort of looking at a funhouse mirror. Right. And what you get back is obviously a distorted reflection. Like, when I look into, at a chimpanzee, I'm obviously not seeing a perfect reflection of myself. Right. But there is something coming back in the distortion that, that, that tells me something about what it means to be human. Yeah, um, for sure. And so I think, I'd I like to believe that as a society or as a culture, we're sort of maturing to the point where we can sort of be aware of that. Um, and like we were talking about before with, like, you know, the animals we eat, like, I don't think we're quite there yet, obviously, because we're not ready to see that in a chicken yeah. or a turkey or a cow or a pig. Um, I don't know if it's willful ignorance
0: or if it's yeah. that we're just not quite there yet. I, you know? I, I, Maybe it's Oh well, Yeah. I mean, the problem is that these structures exist, you know, like, it's... Under the terrorism laws, you're not allowed to photograph uh, a slaughterhouse. Interesting. Yeah, under the 9/11 anti-terrorism, you know, structure. So, because you know, uh, people from PETA or whatever would go undercover sure, sure. and take you know video of the way they treat these animals, and then that comes out and people react to it. Of right. course, they react to it, right? So, I think we have an in a built-in. It's what you're saying You look at an animal You're seeing an aspect of yourself You are an animal I can't believe That people still get upset When I say We're apes yeah. You know, like we didn't descend from apes. We are apes. Right, right. And that's still controversial for people. Yeah, I don't you know. Get we're that. not apes. Like, with the, do you shit and sleep and eat <laughs> and fuck? Then you're an ape, all right? You're an animal. Get over it. Yeah, you're yeah. not a we're fucking angel. Yeah. yeah. I know we might, might be an interesting, uniquely interesting species, certainly Serving to us. To ourselves. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, we are not uh, non animals. I mean, yeah. please. And, and the you know, having this uh, this mythology that we're somehow not part of the biological world, um, what's up with fucking stainless steel hermetically sealed caskets? What do you think, what process do you think you're stopping, you know? With, yeah, you know, I, I,
2: I never thought about that, but...
0: Yeah, I mean, the whole de- denial of death is a big part right. of this book I'm right. working on right. now, so...
2: I actually, like... I sort of take comfort in the fact that when I'm dead, like, the worms will, you know, eat my body.
0: Yeah, well, but you know what? It's (laughs) illegal to, like, have yourself, you know, if someone declares you dead, you're, you know, next of kin or whatever and then they bury you in the backyard. No, you can't do that. Right. You know, it's gotta be this whole, yeah, you know, place, blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. okay, I guess I can understand that. Yeah, you know, you don't want public your... public
2: health concerns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you don't want to check, like, you know, like the, we live in L.A. You don't want to, like, have, like, a mountain lion tearing up your flower bed. Oh,
0: I thought you were going <laughs> to say something about, like, you know, a, you know, the, Or crazy people looking for... or people looking to dig up a celebrity. <laughs> a skull, right, you know, like, you I, I want a skull on my desk. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like it's hard enough
2: having people like drive by celebrity houses. Like, imagine if people could go and dig up like a celebrity. <laughs> house. Like a
0: celebrity skeleton. body. <laughs> Welcome. And it'll be a reality show, you know, right. celebrity grave robbers. Yeah. Right. Um, all right. So, you know, one of the things we have in common is you, you said earlier, you started to self identify as a writer before a scientist and that's, um, I, I don't even consider myself a scientist. You know, I have okay. a PhD in experimental psychology, so I guess officially I yeah. sort of am, but, uh, but no, I, I consider myself much more a uh, writer, and and that's unusual because most people who write about science are scientists trying to write. Some, I mean, I, I, certainly a lot.
2: I mean, there's, although there's also a lot of people who are English majors. You know, Carl Zimmer was an English major. Oh, really?
0: Yeah. Oh, well, um, I, I think yeah. he certainly doesn't have the scientific, you know. So, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, but anyway, I'm just saying it gives you an advantage, you know, as I think a, so. you know, someone who's. Because I think... Well, I don't know. I guess what I'm trying to say is that I think you can learn to do research whereas learning to write well is a lot harder. And to some extent it's like you you either feel it or you don't. Yeah. I
2: mean I think I'm still you know, there's still things that I'm trying to learn and figure out and do better on as a writer.
0: Of course, always. Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, so what what do you what do you foresee writing about? Do you wanna you wanna sort of focus on cognition? Is that your Um, I mean that's certainly where
2: I have sort of the you know deepest backgrounds yeah you know, yeah. Um, you know uh, I can you know, I can if there's like a new paper out in animal cognition or animal behavior psychology I can almost always write it up without doing any like reporting because like that is where my expertise is right I don't have to talk to other experts right um, but I, I was, I, I'm 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 starting to sort of try to push myself to write about other kinds of things. Generally, they've still been sort of animal related human animal relationships, zoo biology all these kinds of sort of things that sort of uh, you know float around a, like sort of a, an epicenter of animal behavior and right. cognition
0: have um, you done anything with marine mammals
2: yeah I've written about whales and dolphins no. and, and seals and sea lions and things like that before but usually you know, again behavior and cognition um, lately I've been really interested in urban wa- living in LA urban wildlife and local like local wildlife oh, right. and sort of where you know humans and
0: animals sort of exist in the same spaces. Um, Interesting how animals adapt to urban environments. Yeah. I mean, not only like the individual learns to, but as a species, they seem yeah. to adapt. Yeah, and this is something
2: I didn't learn until just a few weeks ago. Los Angeles is actually considered a biodiversity hotspot. Like, the same way we think of, like, islands, right, as, like, these hotspots of biodiversity because there's so many different unique species. Right. L.A. itself, because of, like, the, the you know, uh, confluence of, like, the geography, the the sort of topology of the region and the different kinds of weather systems and um, all these different kinds of things. Um, so
0: there are more species living here than, than in most – is that like what a hotspot yeah, is? That yeah. it's there's higher. There's a greater diversity of right. species. And, is, and, and, you know, I think if
2: you just go about your day in L.A., you'd think that the only Animals we have here are like you know pigeons and and like garden ants and you know yeah um, but we have like I mean we have mountain lions right we know and yeah like, there's the one famous Coyotes. one in Griffith Park um, who yeah. tweets as or oh, really? someone tweets as the mountain lion <laughs> really uh, yeah I think it's. Uh, P22 Mountain, P22 is like the, the, his, his like, yeah, identification number. He's got a, he's got a radio collar. Uh, uh, it's like Mountain Lion P22 or P22 Mountain Lion. Um, but we've also got, uh, you know, like something like seven species of hawks. Huh. that are native and like eight different species of owls and we've got golden eagles and we've got peregrine falcons and we've got like 18 different species of snake and we've even got a few like species of fish that are native to uh, like the rivers and, and sort of streams of L.A. and L.A. County um, and we've got, you know, uh, raccoons and, and possums and, and, and I saw possums possum last and, night and uh, we've got two different species of squirrels one native and one invasive oh really? yeah um yeah uh, there's just so much. Yeah. And you sort of, and sometimes, sometimes you have to sort of pay attention to realize that they're there. Yeah. Obviously, in most cases, animals stay away from us just like we stay away from them. Um,
0: what do you think about um, the, the the theory of the uh, mega extinction? When humans first came into North America, they like wiped, wiped out, out all the, the megafauna. Yeah. Do you have a, an opinion on that? You have, have you thought about that?
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't. It, it certainly seems consistent with our behavior, hmm. but um. Yeah, I think it's bullshit.
0: Do you think they yeah. that they died out for a different reason? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Why would you like if you're? First of all, I mean, uh, to me the numbers don't work yeah, out. I don't know enough to. You know, I mean, like why? There were these huge, uh, you know, mastodons and stuff. Okay, so mastodons and these big camels and horses and, you know, big deer and all all these huge animals everywhere. So, okay, you're you're spreading across this new continent and your population's growing. But we know hunter-gatherer populations grow very slowly. It's not like agricultural where they just fill up the ecosystem immediately in a few generations. So... Aside from the numbers not making sense, you know, why would you like go to the trouble of hunting down the very last mastodons when you've got all these other animals? Right. Yeah. You know. Uh, yeah. And also, some clams went extinct at the same time, and you know, other kinds of mollusks can. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, you, know.
2: you could you could imagine you know maybe that it's not that we were necessarily bringing down the mastodons ourselves, but that you know because because you know species exist within ecology right. right so we burned down so, you know, we um, the forest for the same, or something the same food yeah right yeah. like right now uh, uh there's the new research from like Yellowstone where they found that when they like reintroduced the wolves like the bear population benefited because the uh, wolves were preying right. upon like the elk and the elk uh, uh when, when there were more elk they were eating more of the berries and so there are fewer berries available for the bears and yeah. now if there are fewer elk there's more berries for the bears yeah um yeah. and and the, also last week uh We heard in the news that, like, the recovery of sea otters was beneficial for... Uh, uh, seagrass or kelp or something yeah. like so you know species don't exist in a in a vacuum yeah um, so I you know even if we weren't necessarily bringing down the the mastodons and the giant camels and everything you know there probably there there may have been other ways in which our presence impacted the right ecosystem.
0: right yeah that's certainly that's the best way to you have to look at it as a system yeah, yeah it's not as you say the species don't exist in isolation um, what else was I, I was just shit I just lost it. Say something interesting (laughs) while I try to remember what my question was. Uh, Just dropped out of my head. Yeah, whatever. Um, Where where can people find you? Uh,
2: People. So right now I'm blogging for Scientific American. Okay, right. uh, My blog is called The Thoughtful Animal. Um,
0: as if there were only one. As if That's were, a human-centric...
2: Well, so that was kind of why I set, fell upon that name. Like, uh, okay. My thing is, from the beginning, I've been writing about how like, we're not all that special. Okay, good. Um, it's ironic. Yeah.
0: Um, like, all animals are thoughtful in their way. Right. Right. Um, so, uh, what about self-awareness? Uh, the You know, the test, uh, the red spot on the head? The, the, the famous, mirror test. Yeah. Did Darwin develop that, I think? Darwin? The... I don't think Darwin did. I think so. I thought it was Gordon Gallup. No, like, no, no. I think Darwin did that in a zoo in London. Really? Yeah, yeah. Okay, you know, i we, we can bet a coffee on we it. We can bet some, a coffee some on Some friendly it. gentleman's I it was bet. <laughs> Maybe Gordon Gallup m-
2: m- renewed interest in it. Yeah, because Gordon Gallup's
0: m- working now, right? Yeah, yeah. He's, this was
2: like in the 70s. Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay. Is Gordon Gallup the same guy who did the the... The sperm displacement theory, the semen displacement theory. Uh, sounds where he had the dildos and the artificial vaginas and the. I uh, that sounds in,
2: vaguely familiar. Is he a
0: like SUNY... Yeah, he's like upstate New York. Or yeah, something. Uh, Binghamton or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah that same guy. Um, yeah. Anyway, what we're talking about is a test where you know you sedate an animal, you put a, a red paint a red dot on its forehead that it can't feel because it's on the fur and then when and there's a they've already been a um, what's the word acculturator or something uh, like a, habituated habituated to a mirror yeah. in the cage and then they when they come to they sort of look at themselves in the mirror and if they touch the the spot then you know they recognize that the animal in the mirror is, is him yeah it's not some other yeah ch- yeah so
2: so uh Uh, human children generally pass the mirror test and chimpanzees at like two and a half or something yeah they have to be a little bit older yeah
0: um and
2: chimpanzees, and chimpanzees and bonobos and, and dolphins. And and, and dolphins, it, it's obviously a different kind of a task with yeah. dolphins. It's more like, because a dolphin can't touch his forehead. Right. Right, so they did something but where they would... they like, turn to try to see They would, like, they would like, they would like mark on the side of their body or, like, sham mark so that they would get the, like, feeling of being marked, but it wouldn't actually be anything right, right, And then they would go and uh, see whether they spent more time inspecting themselves in the mirror. Right. Like, on that side of their body. Right. Um, and they found that they
0: did. Yeah. And um, elephants.
2: And elephants. Elephants. Um, and more recently there where there was a like a case study of this on like a rhesus monkey hmm. like it had some kind of a device like uh, attached to its head because i think it had some kind of electrode uh. and then they found that the monkey when it had the like device it would like see it in the mirror and then touch the device right so it's kind of like a variation on the mirror test right right um so I, it's it's interesting cuz like there are animals that we sort of think of as intelligent, right? Which again is a complicated—it's a complicated question. But like dogs, for right. example, domestic dogs, which by all accounts are fairly intelligent, and at least in terms of you know social intelligence, like socially interacting with humans, are sort of—they're a better model than chimpanzees, in some right. ways. Um, And they don't pass the mirror test, right? But they can distinguish like their own scent from the scent of another dog, yeah. right? So. The mirror test, I think, is just not always the best way to look. Just because a, an animal fails that test, doesn't mean you get that there isn't, a, at some level, right. some kind of a, you know, a, a self-awareness.
0: Yeah, the, you make a very important point there, and uh, you say that dogs can tell their own scent. There, there's I, one of the things I find most interesting in science is the implicit arrogance right. um, that you know the like we said before. There's a sign of uh, sort of maturity in recognizing otherness. Right. That, you know that that it's there just because we're not used to seeing it. And often, so so often when I read research, I think like interesting how we're assuming their perceptual parameters are the same as ours, right? right? I
2: mean, and we like can't. You know, uh, it's it's. We can't help but I think in many time, in many cases we can only think we, we only we only know what it's like to be a human, right? Like well, we don't know what it's like
0: to be. But uh, that's your research. Your research is you know what's it like to be a chicken, right?
2: right. We you can know? we can I think we can. I, I don't know that I can tell you what it's like to be a chicken. I can tell you. That chickens are able to do certain kinds of—they they have certain kinds of skills. Right. Um, they can—they can—they can think about certain kinds of things. Right. But I can't sort of get at the sort of like the harder question, like the 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 hard question of consciousness. You know, what is it like to be a chicken?
0: Right. But I mean, yeah, I, I don't mean to imply that you've got the you know chickenness right. insights into chickenness, but that the essence of the sort of research that you and other people are doing is. Is to broaden our sense of what consciousness may be, and it's not just human consciousness. Yeah. It's just, you yeah. Know, it, yeah. Although that's or at a, least
2: what what thought, what what, what cognition.
0: Cognition. Yeah. That's a better better term because consciousness. Who, who the hell knows what, what that is? Too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like what the point I was making earlier is that you said yeah, but dogs can tell their own scent, and the thing is, dogs experience the world much more through scent, yeah. than through the visual yeah. and stimuli. Yet,
2: and yet, if you have two identical bowls and you hide food in one of them, <laughs> you have two he's identical. He's
0: gesticulating with his mic hand. You can't
2: do that. <laughs> if you have two identical bowls uh-huh. and you hide food in one of them, and the dog doesn't know which one you hid it in, it will not find it based on scent. You have to point. It can't smell the food. No, I mean, if it was a really stinky food, I guess, you know uh, probably. But like this is one of the, this is like a standard experiment, it right? Found the Where Coke you, in you, my suitcase. You, you, you hide food in one bowl and pretend to hide food in the second bowl, so the dog yeah. doesn't know which bowl it's in, right? And if you do not point, they will approach a chance. Really? Yeah. So. Huh. Yeah. And so there, I mean, in some ways, we've you know, dogs. Yes, rely but what, on sense. What quite about a bit.
0: airport dogs? I mean, there there's no chance. Well, there. those dogs have training. Yeah, right? it's not it's, so they can be trained. to do be, it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, a, a, yeah. any animal
2: with with enough classical and operant condition, you yeah. could train almost any animal to do anything, right. as long as you know, they're capable of it right.
0: in the first place, right? Um, yeah, I so. mean, a dog experimenter would like do the self awareness test using scent and say, "Oh, look, humans. You know, I can't smell myself versus you. You know, on a piece of right, whatever. right. If it was uh, if
2: you Perfume can imagine strip. like
0: a dog scientist testing
2: humans, <laughs> like we would fail that test. <laughs> Because, <laughs> like, our sense of smell is, like, in general, we don't rely on our sense of smell yeah. like the way we rely on
0: vision. Right. Right. Or even hearing. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy, crazy. Well, listen, we've been. Uh, we're over an hour. We're into. We're into bonus time here. <laughs> penalty time. Do you watch soccer at all? I uh, no. No. Yeah. Uh, well, my my four European listeners will get that. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So uh, on Twitter, what's your handle? jgold 85 uh, jgold 85 uh, You're on Scientific, on Scientific American, American, the thoughtful animal, and uh, my other freelancing.
2: I mean, my website is JasonGGoldman.com. So from there. There you can find everything.
0: So anyone who has questions about chicken cognition, Absolutely. this is your guy. Uh, other animal behavioral stuff, yeah, anything, yeah. anything yeah. in the animal world. And you've got—I follow you on Twitter. You, you put up a lot of interesting stuff. You're you're selective about what goes up, which I appreciate.
2: Yeah, I try to sort of curate. Yeah. a little bit.
0: Yeah, yeah. Twitter can get overwhelming. It's like I don't give a fuck what people had for breakfast or yeah,
2: you know, whatever. Yeah, I do. I, I'm I, I was when I. tweeting i was sort of very intentional that you know i do maybe like five percent sort of those like stupid personal here's a picture of when i'm eating things right um in part because i think it's important to humanize the scientists that like we do normal things right yeah (laughs) and we're not always like reading blog posts about science yeah but then like 90 or 95 percent is you know
0: things i think are interesting yeah yeah Yeah, i appreciate that all right hey thanks for doing this thank you
1: Baby, what's the big deal Feel what you wanna feel Say what you wanna say You're gonna die one day For example, I could kiss you Just because I want to What's the difference if you turn away I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time Thinking about your reputation? Soft touch Why don't you let it out to play in my arms, and if we must go down, we'll go singing to the smoke alarms, we'll dance into the ground.